Before we officially start, I must give a special shout out to the boys over at Recovery. Much like myself and the lads, Chris and Ian are a couple of rugby fanatics like we all are, and they've created various products with recovery in mind based around natural CBD remedies. Head over to their Instagram page or website and use the code FREEBLOKES. That's the number free, followed by blokes, for 10% off all their natural products and feel the benefit today. Good afternoon, good morning and good evening from wherever you are listening from. My name is Jamie Robinson and welcome to episode 83 of Three Blokes and the Rugby League podcast. Wallace and the Mullet are back with me on this podcast as Callum Wood and J.D. Moss-Goddard are with me to chat about an action-packed weekend in the NRL and Super League. There's a lot of talking points here, lads, and I'm looking forward to getting stuck right in. NRL round 15, it was this year, bang in the middle of the season. We're over the halfway point now. First game of the round, Brisbane Broncos nil. South Sydney Buddies 46, another top-tier performance from one of the game's supposed top-tier brands. And clubs, you know, Brisbane Bronco, what an atrocious display this was. Some news outlets are asking if they have hit rock bottom, but I think they will continue to get worse before they get better. The efforts of this club as a whole are appalling, in my opinion. Um, the Bunnies were great. They played how they expected to and thoroughly deserved the 46 points they scored. No doubt Wayne Bennett will be a very happy man behind closed doors this weekend. It's his 200th win at Suncorp. It's the most wins by a single coach, any single ground in NRL history. Fair play to Wayne Bennett for that one. In typical fashion in 2021, the scoreline was tight for the first 25 minutes at 4-0. But then as soon as the Bunnies began utilising their favoured out-the-back players, um, the Broncos just threw in the towel. Simple as that, really. 18-0 at half-time. 15 minutes later, it was 30-0. And the Bunnies were just too innovative with the ball. And as soon as the likes of Walker and Mitchell have space, they just absolutely destroy teams. We see it week in, week out, whenever they've got a chance. Jed highlighted it a couple of weeks ago where they're just very, very quick and very innovative in, in getting the ball out back and very clinical again. It's the likes of Gagai and Johnston. And it worked again. You look at the Bunnies' try scorers every single week and the majority are their outside backs. Everybody knows they, they love to utilise them. You know, this week again, Alex Johnson got a double. Campbell Graham got a double. Tane Milne, Dane Gagai and Latrell Mitchell got one as well. And there was only Hame Selle who, who bagged through the middle. And the constant in that in, the contact in that instance was totally non-existent. It was pure amateur, pure scoreboard. It was pathetic defending. Um, you know, you know, we like to look at the stats in this podcast and not overanalyze too much, but I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this in, in this game, if I'm honest. The Bunnies made 1,300 more run meters than the Broncos. They had 105 more runs, 266 more post-contact meters, eight more line breaks, 19.2 more average set distance in, in meters. 215 more kick return metres too. What on earth is going on? This is this is like playing a college side. It's, it's totally unacceptable at the NRL level. You know, you know. I appreciate there's an argument recently about Volandes' ball, about the fatigue, about the six-again rule. There's there's a million different things going on at the NRL at the minute. But, you know, it speaks for itself with them stats. 46-0 and the efforts of some players is just, it's just not there at the minute. It's absolutely pathetic. 10 players for the Buddies made more than 150 metres with two making more than 200 metres. Now, first of all, that's an absolutely magnificent effort. And second of all, you'll be absolutely flabbergasted to hear that Latrell Mitchell and Damian Cook only made 67 and 61 respectively. So they were even in that bracket as well. So it shows how much uh, ball the uh, the additional players are actually getting in that one. Um, just just total free reign against the Broncos side. Players are, are coming up against the Broncos side. I'm just feeling like they've got confidence these days. 
and Dane Gagai and Cameron Murray, who we know, once again, if they have space in front of them, they'll rip team to shreds. Um, one thing that did stand out in a dismal Broncos performance was that Xavier Coates effort to stop the uh, try-scoring opportunity from Dave Gagai. And in me, for me, in my opinion, is why he will grow into a world-class player. Can you imagine him at Melbourne next year? Seriously, like with what they offer that club, what they offer in terms of coaching, development, playing with other top players, playing with effort, playing for the club, playing for the the the, uh, the badge on your jersey. If you haven't seen it, go out online because Xavier Coates makes up ground very, very quickly and tackles Dane Gaga with a millisecond to go before he touches the line. Superb stuff. Well, one thing that stood out for me, Woody, I, I don't know if you've seen the footage too much, but I, I didn't like how Channel 9 pressured Tavita Pengai Jr. into, into answering about um, the news that broke about him leaving the club and it actually broke during the game, so he didn't actually know. Uh, what did you feel about that? Yeah, it's, it's really poor how it's all played out, you know, through the week, during the game, after the game. I think he got called in on his day off as well to be delivered the news from the Broncos and then obviously that interview as well was kind of horrible to watch. Um on him, we know he can be a bit erratic and he's not always reliable to put in decent performances. But in terms of general performances this season, there's a lot of players who've been a lot worse than him in that Broncos side. I know he's he's a bit of a feast or famine player, really. So maybe they need some consistency. I think, you know, look back further than just this season. The writing's probably been on the wall for him since last year. He came very, very close to being sacked after a load of COVID breaches got really ugly between him and the club. I think he went and contacted Roosters himself. He's missed a load of games through suspension, which he's going to do again this week, Reed, maybe three or four games. His contract's about $650,000, so salary cap issues come into play. So I think probably all of those factors came together and means he's one of the first to get the chop in what's probably going to be a massive Brisbane overhaul. But yeah, it wasn't nice to see that interview there. And I do feel for him as a young bloke. Yeah, you prove a good point there. It is going to be an absolute slaughter, isn't it, for the Broncos in the next couple of years. Very briefly, Jen, it's very heavily rumoured that Tavita Pengai Jr. will be coming to my boys at the West Tigers. What do you think of that move for him and the Tigers club as a whole? Um, I think he'll be a really good good signing, to be honest. Um, the the Tigers pack, I think, needs a little bit more aggression in it at times. I think sometimes it can be, um, on more instances, the one be, be quite soft and not really have any leaders I know you were expecting Jimmy Tamar to be that leader but he's not really gone into that role and, and, and seems to have taken a back seat and you can say what you want about his obviously his temperament uh, and obviously his, his stability but he leads from the front and he wears his heart on the sleeve on the pitch and he yeah, might give away a penalty but he'll, 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 he can fire up the players around him so I feel like it's a really smart move they'll get him on a, a lot less money than he's currently on um, and I feel like he'll have a point to prove so I think it could be a really really smart signing by the Tigers. Superb stuff, mate. Five points in that game for Dane Gagai, Cameron Murray four, Cody Walker three, Campbell Graham two and Latrell Mitchell one. Uh, next up was the North Queensland Cowboys 24, Cronulloch Sutherland Sharks 26. Nice to see a closer game, Jed, but I'm sure you're not exactly as, as happy as I am as you came out of the loser. No, and it's, an, it's a game that we've, we've got to be winning these type of games. I mean, fair enough if you're playing against teams who are at the top of the table, you're not really ever expecting to turn up any trees, especially because we're still in a, a big transition period at the moment. But games like this is the ones that we need to be winning. And it's a bit of a one step forward, two step backwards for us. I mean, we showed glimpses of what we can do, but then stupid lapses in concentration and poor defence really highlight the poor areas of our game. 
Sharks have really had a change of fortunes recently with an array of talent coming back into the squad. Sean Johnson being the main man, obviously playing for a contract next season. Uh, but you look at Aaron Wood's try, it was a simple spin and score. And it's not ever a try that we should be conceding at this level. Um, it's not a try that you should be conceding at amateur level. There were real no determination to stop him getting over that line. And it was really poor to see from a fan's perspective. Valentine Holmes obviously trying his best to defeat his, his former club and, and he was on top form once again. 261 room metres and even attempted a two-point field goal at the, at the end, but it, it came up a little bit short. And just a little bit of um, creativity and spark. I know I sent it to you boys in the chat, but that little short kickoff where he regained it, stepped through and nearly what scored what would have been one of the tries of the season. It's something like that that we need, but he can't do it all on his own. There were sparks of a good connection between Deed and Drinkwater, and I appreciate that it is a really young partnership, and I think this is only the second game together. Um, but, and I feel like there's the, the, the blueprint there for him to form a really solid uh, partnership and, and, and potentially lead the Cowboys for many years. Um, Deedon's try was a typical smart read from a halfback, something that we've not really done. Drinkwater's not that much of a running halfback. He's much more of your organiser and obviously gets a lot of try assists from kicks. Obviously, we've got Townsend, who's sort of more of a drink water. And I think, personally, a drink water did in combo at the moment is one that I'd, I'd prefer to go to. Obviously, Townsend's obviously been dropped by the Sharks and, 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 and not been on the best form recently. Um, but, yeah, I'm interested to see how that will develop. And I'm sure, obviously, Toddy Payton's signing for a particular reason. But so the sparks were there. Uh, Ronaldo Molitalo must have heard that there's a space up for grabs with, Queen, with Queensland because his recent form has been absolutely excellent. And this game was no different once again up against a man who would have been most likely to drop out. But obviously, as we've seen uh, with the Queensland squad, Felt has regained his squad, but Molotala has been named. And obviously, the extended bench, I think he's named at 19th. Um, so obviously, got some kind of reward for his recent form. Um, his defensive reads were great. Were great. And that one-on-one hit where I can't, remember, I can't remember who he was that he tackled on, but he absolutely creamed someone and stopped the attack dead in its tracks. And some things like that, that wingers don't really get appreciated for. But I thought his defensive positioning a lot of the times for Molotalo is excellent. Uh, in bragged to try in this game, got on a got eight tackle bus, and he's always a handful. Something that I noticed that was really smart by the Sharkies is that the head knocked that uh, forced Tabawai for Doe off and they had to force a, a rejigging of the Cowboys' back line. Jake Granville ended up getting put into centre and, and Cronulla noticed it straight away, spotted him. And uh, n- nothing against Jake Granville. I can't hold him accountable. He's not a centre. His defensive positioning in that in that area is not going to be the, the best. Uh, but obviously a few, a few tries went down that side and, and because of the lack of uh, stability in the defence there. But nothing against Jake Granville. That's just one of them things and, and smart player from the Cronulla side. Something that probably they wouldn't have been able to do if you look back a month ago when they were playing really poorly. They probably wouldn't have had the know-how to do that. And that's probably because of the, they didn't have Sean Johnson there and he wasn't playing at his best. But now that he has sort of picked up a bit of form, he uh, really led the, the, the Sharks to attack that side. Um, I've been really impressed with Matt Moylan again. Me and you, Jamie, especially have been really critical of him. But his resurgence is continuing and he seems to, to finally be playing with confidence. Probably the best I've seen him since he was arguably the star player in that Penrith squad of five years ago. Um, he, he, he has that tendency to be flashy, but he's happy to fill the pivot role and offer, offer little bursts, similar to a Moses and Bayer or a Dylan Brown. He's enjoying free-flowing free rugby league alongside Johnson and they balance each other really, really well. Uh, also, with Kennedy's speed and agility, they just all seem to link together really well and they all sort of know what they're doing and there's not like too much dependence on one particular person in one particular area. They're sort of a, a nice cohesive unit. And with Nico Hines coming into that squad next season, it's really intriguing to see how they're all going to play together. And if they all click, they could really light up the NRL in 2022. Um, 
as has been an ongoing battle and a trend with the Sharks with the likes of Rudolph and Woods, being strong in attack again and real battle axes in that pack. And they seem to increase the workload every single week. 151 metres and 42 tackles for, for Toby Rudolph and 157 metres and 27 tackles for Aaron Woods. Probably, I'd say personally, this is the best I've seen Aaron Woods play since he were at your Tigers, Jamie. Um, the media have been very critical and even when he was playing at the, at the peak I remember when we were in Australia for the World Cup that he, 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 a lot of Australian fans didn't want him in the squad because they didn't rate him um, but I've been really impressed in this season he's, he's, he's shirked that that lazy sort of um, tagline that he's had to him for the last few seasons and I feel like you can't can't ever accuse him out that season because he seems to, to bust a gut and has done long minutes on a lot of occasions this season and, and he's been one of the best forwards for that Cronulla side in, in, a, in a pack that's littered with a, a litany of, of young talent who's really leading by example uh, 1,906 versus 1,966 run metres, 644 versus 646 in post-contact metres, 6 versus 8 in offloads, two sides with a strict conservative game plan, which actually ended in an even game. I mean, the stats on this game uh, are actually showing the reflective of the score, and it was very even, obviously, that the Cronulla were the side that managed to have the know-how and managed to get the two points. Um, Jamie, I'm going to throw it to you. Obviously, we've seen the Queensland squad today. Motala, we all tipped to sort of get that. He's, he's come up a little bit short, but still in the squad. Might get there through injuries. Um, with him in consideration, but also, obviously, what about Will Chambers? There's been, obviously, his name thrown around. What do you make about the whole situation at the moment? Yeah, well, I mean, Queensland definitely needed some sort of experience in that squad, didn't they? They've, they've brought in Ben Hunt, they've brought in Andrew McCulloch. I, I mean, without going in too depth, we might have a brief brief chat about it at the end of this podcast. I can't understand how Felice Cafusi is still getting a game. I thought that he shifted him out and put Kurt Capewell at second round, maybe giving Will Chambers a, a gig at centre. You know, he's, he's played in a lot of big games as Chambers, whether it be for, for Melbourne Storm um, or for Queensland or for Australia as well. He's, you know, he's a bit past his sell-by date now, but I'm sure if you just want him to, to get in there and... and form some sort of defensive brunt against the likes of Turbo and Mitchell. I'm sure he'll give it to you. I still don't know what what the what they're going to offer with Capel in that position. I don't think it's going to offer too much, but I don't know what you think, Woody. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on the experience side and what it can kind of bring to the team. But I was having a look through his recent stats earlier and one thing that jumped out at me is he's, he's missed 32 tackles in his seven games back. He's missed 14 in his last two and his overall tackle percentage is below 75% for the season. So, being matched up against Turbo and Luttrell in the centres might have been a bit much, so I don't know if that's what's been held against him, especially the, the last two weeks. Fair play, mate. You've uh, you've, you've dug me right <laughs> out there, so... <laughs> Set you up for a fall there, Jamie. <laughs> uh, to wrap up my points on this game, Ronaldo Molotalo with five, Kyle Felt with four, uh, Will Kennedy with three, Val Holmes with two, and Toby Rudolph with one. Up next, it was the Penrith Panthers 38 and the Sydney Roosters 12. And uh, you covered this game for us, didn't you, Woody? A lot of people expected it to be a lot closer game, but it wasn't to be. No, certainly wasn't. Penrith uh, well and truly purring once more. All the Origin boys are back and so were the Panthers we've become accustomed to. Like you say, this one for me, it looked like a shoe-in for the game of the weekend on paper. And even though it didn't turn out to be a great contest in terms of competitiveness, You'd be hard-pushed to see more thrilling rugby league than what the Panthers produced at times. Roosters made an absolutely flying start in wet conditions, which has been a bit of a, a rarity in the NRL this season to see some rain, but we saw it across quite a few games. Roosters had all the ball at the start of the game, raced into a 12-0 lead, really won the early battle and gave away absolutely nothing. Unfortunately for them, the Simbinin of COC Takiaho really turned the tide of the match. 
Nathan Cleary slipping and got caught in the head by the shoulder of his opponent. He was given 10 minutes. And during that 10-minute time period, the scoreline went from 6-12 to 18-12. And the minor premiers were really on a roll from there. So once Penrith were finally able to get the ball through the hands, they never looked back, really. You know, they're briefly staring down the barrel of a third successive loss, but went about laying on an exhibition and they're back to their Harlem Globetrotters-esque best. Ably led by Cleary, the conductor, choked the life out of the Roosters with a masterful hour. That included five forced dropouts between him and Luai, plus six tries, which showed off their full arsenal. And Sydney just couldn't live with the pace and precision. Looked absolutely spent by halftime after that really good start. Handling completely deserted them in the little ball they did get from there on. Matt Cavallo in particular struggled. You know, we always talk about how well he's filled in and how reliable he's, he's been for them, but came up with four or five errors in the end, I think. Panthers came out of the game with 58% possession, 80% completion, which isn't exactly stunning, but up against 66% completion. Made 800 more metres. Well and truly champions-elect playing like this. Mentioned Nathan Cleary in there. As ever, absolute standout. On a different planet to mere rugby mortals. 155 run metres, one line break assist, two try assists, two busts, 20 tackles, 589 kick metres, one try, 18 overall points, three force dropouts. Go and watch the highlights now. That second Brian Toto try was jaw-droppingly good. Highlight reel material and is absolutely soaking as well at the time. Speaking of the newly elected New South Wales winger, Toto got himself another double. 220 run metres, two line breaks, seven tackle busts. In fact, all of the Origin boys returning made massive impacts, but got to give real special praise to Isaiah Yeo. His ball-playing ability at lock is absolutely vital. He's a complete workhorse and so good to watch. Roosters had very little to shout about. Teddy was his usual self, and Angus Crichton definitely locked himself in for Origin Game 2. Obviously, we've seen the squad by now, but I think there would have been room for him, even if Jake Jabojevic were fully fit. Luckily for the Roosters, it's only the Melbourne Storm up next for them, but... At least they've got a week off before that to lick their wounds. I uh, mentioned in there the COC attack Yarhouse Simbinin. Uh, Jamie, I'll come to you with it because we kind of discussed it in the WhatsApp, but what did you make of it? I know Gus released a, a bit of a Twitter storm on Friday surrounding it, and there's been plenty of talk about that one. It was daft, wasn't it? I think what, what kind of threw um, fuel onto the fire was the fact Ashley Klein, the referee, kept saying that there was no mitigating certain circumstances. I mean, number one, clearly slipped. Number two, it was absolutely booking it down. Number three, Taukiara actually almost pulled his shoulder back as he went in for the tackle because he realised what was happening. Um, yeah, he made contact with the head. Clearly, he was up straight away. Didn't show any signs of even a head knock, never mind a concussion. Um, absolutely daft for the fact it was raining, for the fact, obviously, the six-again uh, role was in play and was was acting quite consistently. Brewster just couldn't keep up, to be fair, and, and the Panthers has absolutely demolished him. I know they, they, they scored two tries in that time period, but... They just totally killed the Roosters' self-confidence in, in that in that time period as well. It just killed them. And, and for me, the sim binning was daft. It was stupid. Um, you know, I've got time for, for a bit of the concussion protocols and, and sim binnings if they really need to. But this just totally killed the game. It was a really good game up until that point. And, and to an extent, it was afterwards. But there was only one winner after that sim bin. Yeah, it's definitely a, a massive momentum swing. I mentioned how good the Panthers' handling were in the wet, especially when you compare it to how much the Roosters struggled. I'll come to you on this one, Jed, because you know, we wax lyrical about how good that Penrith team is every week, but how impressive was that, especially given the conditions? Even more impressive than your default, really, because like, we, we've all played rugby in wet conditions and usually it's very much a forwards game, but they still play, like you mentioned, that obviously that tour tried, they still played some really exciting rugby league and to do that in the conditions that they had is even more impressive. Um, I don't know whether... It, 
it might be a case of obviously the Roosters are a bit patched up at the moment, obviously missing a lot of key men and, and obviously having to play an arrow rugby in this condition probably for the first time for your likes of your young players is going to be a tough ask. Um, but that just speaks volumes about the Panthers. Are very young side, obviously in itself, but they just handled the occasion a little bit better and were a little bit more clued up about when and where and how to play. Yeah, some of those tries are absolutely awesome as well. Just wrap up with my points then. Nathan Cleary, of course, with five. I say yo with four. Brian Toto with three. James Fisher Harris with two, and Angus Crichton with one. Superb stuff, mate. And Lincoln, I think you were we going to say as well, Penrith are playing Parramatta next. Yeah, so a couple of big games coming up, but that one will be an absolutely massive one. Obviously, I'm hopeful the Eels can pull something out, but it's going to be a, a big decider on whether we can potentially break the top two or not. Excellent stuff. So that's the week after Origin 4, the top five playing. So that's very, very exciting. Um, talking about a game that was exciting in some regards and was so, so not so much. It was Newcastle Knights 10, New Zealand Warriors 6. Once again, a nice, real close-fought game in the wet conditions. Once again, it's absolutely bucking it, it down in, in Newcastle. A couple of games this weekend, I've had to deal with the raining conditions and this certainly affected um, was was affected by Mother Nature. I, I always find it interesting to see how the NRL adapts to these conditions. Um, you know, if two teams were going to enjoy it, then it's going to be the likes of Newcastle and and, uh, and the New Zealand Warriors. Two big, strong and mobile forward packs with dependable, direct hookers. And it was exactly that. They, they played exactly how you'd think they would do. Overall, the Knights deserved the win. They had better ball retention with 85% completion. The presence of Mitchell Pearce took the pressure off other members of the team really well too. And, and their ability in defence was really impressive. In in the game, it, you know, it was like monsoon weather, and they only missed 15 tackles overall. So really, really good by the by the Newcastle Knights. And it's something when they had that mid-season slump, probably when Pierce actually ended up getting injured, that's when the missed tackles and, and the really poor defence came in. So you can see how much of an impact he has on that. You, you, I mean, you'd be expecting a lot of errors in these sort of conditions, but and that came in the way of spilled balls, you know, knock-ons, a lot of knock-ons in general by the Warriors' backline in key moments of this game. Nine errors from Reese Walsh, to which five of them were handling errors. Seven errors from Roger Tuvasashek, to which three were drop balls. It's just a mix of these players commanding the ball so often in attack and being your key men to make, you know, the important choices. But the usual game wasn't able to be completed, so they were just making a lot of handling errors overall. You know, it'll be a good learning curve for East Walsh, especially, but, you know, if they have some bad weather this coming weekend at State of Origin, it's going to be even worse for him. I always feel like you can measure the amount of effort in, in a rugby league player on how they track the ball and keep running when they have no chance um, of saving that try. James Graham was well known for it in, in, his, in his life. Everyone always knew what it was like. And, and in this game, especially, Jaden Braley showed it too. Chasing down Reese Walsh, a player on paper who had, he had no right to keep up with, um, never mind actually making contact with him and saving a try, very similar to Xavier Coates on Dane Gaga in the first game. He was excellent. All game was Jaden Braley, and I've mentioned it throughout this season, but he's very underrated in terms of what he offers Newcastle, um, and he never seems to make a mistake at all. You know, he touched, I, I don't think I've ever seen this in, in terms of the stats, especially this season, but he touched the ball 145 times in this game. You know, that's ridiculous. A standard hooker will usually touch the ball just under 100 times and a rotational hooker will be about 50 to 60. 145 times, though, because that's not only showing that he's there at the dummy half position, but he's obviously having a lot of link-up play and even potentially getting a few offloads in there as well. Um, and 33 tackles on top of that too. Superb effort from Jaden Braley. And 
he's, he's probably going to be always one of them that doesn't quite make representative status, but he's, he's superb and just an absolute workhorse in the middle of the park. Uh, in, in the opposite end of the stats, the Warriors missed 43 tackles, and that's huge. And ultimately, what cost them the game, you know, it's what happened at the end of the game when Brody Jones got that winner. He just slipped through about two easy tackles and scored in the corner with a couple of minutes left. They only had three players out of the squad of 17 that didn't miss a single tackle, and, and 30 of the missed tackles of 43 were from their forward pack. So you could see where Newcastle were making the metres and, and really getting down the field. It's hard enough to say to gain any sort of momentum in a game like this. But if there are some sort of stats on, on that regard, then you're just fighting a losing battle. On the opposite side to this, though, Tohu Harris with a huge 57 tackles was monumental. You know, we, we talk about him a lot and he, he, he really is a colossus for that Warriors team and his definition of, of a leader of a pack. And he's probably one of the few players who've left Melbourne in recent years who've actually gone on to get better and he's trying to take that onus of being a storm player from the heart to another club and it seems to slowly be working for him. Um, Jed, you know, once again, we, we talk about sin binning decisions and in slippery conditions and whatnot, but what did you think of the... Lachlan Fitzgibbon Simbin on Reese Walsh. It was slightly different, but I guess that's what, you know, it's horses for courses. And, and what's your opinion on it? It's a tough one because obviously at, at first glance, obviously you're thinking, well, he slipped. What else can he do? But obviously it's hard because obviously I feel like there was a little, maybe a little bit of a swing in his arm, whereas opposed to the one we talked, discussed previous, it wasn't. It was mainly with his shoulder. This one was with the forearm. You don't tackle with your forearm, but then again, you're from the retrospect. He's slipping. Is he supposed to adjust a little bit quicker? I could with this one. I, I probably would not be on the. I don't really think it's a synonym, synonym. However, I can see why the referee has made that decision. So I, 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 I can see why there's grounds for that. As opposed to the other one that we mentioned, I don't think was a, was ever a synonym. It's a really harsh decision on Takiyaho. But this one, I feel like the referee had more grounds to to, to send the player off for ten. Uh, but again, it's a really tricky one in, in in obviously the slippy conditions. But I feel the fact that it was it was a four forearm connecting with the head of Reese Walsh probably was an easy decision to make for the referee. I don't know what were your thoughts on it, guys. Yeah, I don't know about you, Woody, but I felt because Walsh was a lot more stationary. I think I feel as though Fitzgibbon didn't necessarily have to, like Jed said, put as much swing and as much momentum in. Still, don't know if it's a Simbin, but I thought it were a bit nastier than the Taukiaho one. Well, I'm not sure what you think, Woody, if you agree with that or not. Yeah, I'm agreed on that one as well. I think probably as soon as the whistle went as well, you maybe knew what was coming. And on on the crackdown and stuff as well, I think seems to be kind of no room for mitigation, you know, whether you bring it in on circumstances of the tackle, degree of danger or kind of outcome, but it's only really be one way that these tackles are going and that's with a Simbin. Definitely so, mate. In that one, Jaden Braley for me, man of the match, five points for him. Daniel Saifiti, four, just to continue... Trojan of a block, what a, what a player he is. Tohu Harris, three. Ewan Aitken, two, who's been slowly improving his form back to that kind of 2017 form for the Dragons as well. And Mitchell Pace on his return just, just kept that Knights team ticking and probably the reason why they actually won that game. I gave him a one point as well. Another close game of the weekend. It's, it's kind of going, uh, I almost said our, our catchphrase then, but it's going kind of understated a bit this this week that there were quite a few close games, Jed. And St. George of the Warrior Dragons, 22. Canberra Raiders, 20. was another close one that you covered, bit. Yeah, it won. I mean, at the start of this game, you, you could you see that scorelines could have gone either way. But I don't know if you saw the, the post absolutely flailing in the wind. Um, I wouldn't like to be in a goal cookie kicking one from the touchline anyway because it was horrendous windy conditions. I think of that bomb that Ben Hunt put, put up. It went about 15 metres forward and then about 40 metres back. So it was really tough conditions for players all around. 
And after a brief respite in, in the Raiders' continuance of, of, of second-half meltdown for the win against the Broncos, it resumed this weekend. In milder fashion, the one that we're actually accustomed to, but after leading 20 points to wait with 30 minutes to go, they're letting three tries in 18 minutes, which puts the Dragons 22-20 in front with 10, left, 10 minutes left. And the Dragons had the whereabouts to see out the game and, and not concede. Uh, the weather suited the Dragons, really. And I know they're not a team that is going to slug it out in the middle of the park. And they tried to play chance RL at the best of times. They managed to have the better of the possession and eventually capitalised on that, especially in the period between the 54th and the 59th minute where the Raiders conceded three penalties. And this helped the Dragons tremendously. And there was some really, really poor discipline from the Raiders. I mean, Dragons are not a team that are going to outpace you or beat you with some dynamic RL. I mean, out of their entire squad, only one player got less than three-second average player, the ball speed. And they'll continue to push and put pressure on the areas that they think are weak. They're, they're a much more, uh, I don't know, more of a, a tactical side, really, because they've got to rely, as, as, as I said, it's, they're not really a showy team that they've got to rely on on their tactics and, and the picking teams. And it's worked really well from this season, especially when you think at the start of the season, this was a team that we were tipping to finish at the bottom of the table. So they've really played to their strengths and, and played on their opponents' weaknesses. And that was evident again in this game. Um, this type of strategy, again, especially works really well against a team that have no backbone at the minute in, in, in the Raiders. I mean, how many times have we seen them absolutely capitulate in the second half? I'm, I'm losing count now and it's a really, really, really big concern for Sticky and it's something that needs to be sorted out immediately. Ben Hunt had an absolutely excellent game and put on a performance that should and has ensured his origin selection, especially with the injuries that Queensland have suffered. He managed one try assist, five tackle busts, two offloads, three line breaks, two line break assists, as well as 147 run metres. He also produced a 40-20 kick that indirectly led to Norman's match-winning try in the 69th minute. So, I mean, that's the sort of player that he is. He's a clutch player. When you need a big player, you know Ben Hunt's going to do something magic to try and help you, and he did that in this game. It might not be him putting a kick through um, for a try assist or putting a shot pass, but being able to get his team out of out of their own area and get some key possession and territory back, and, and, and that's what led to them getting that match-winning try. Sloan was very impressive on debut before I'd even managed to catch this game I know you Jamie you, you raved about his performance and he was he was very impressive showed a lot of will and determination for a rookie his try saving tackle to stop Chris was an amazing effort and his chip through was something you'd see from a player who played 100-150 plus NRL games showed a lot of confidence in his own ability and he was really instrumental in swinging the game in favour for the Dragons Jack DeBellin also continued his return. Um, looked to struggle early on with the pace of the game, but that I mean that's a given when he's been out, obviously, for, what was it, a thousand days before he obviously made his comeback. But then he got more into it, 156 run metres with 31 out of 31 tackles. Looks like he's getting used to it again. And that's no mean feat, having 100% tackle efficiency in a game like this. When we just look at the game before, when you mentioned how many missed tackles the Warriors had and only three players with 100% tackle efficiency. For Jack DeBellin to do this after being out for so long is a real credit to him himself and shows that he's been keeping up off the pitch to try and keep his fitness up. The Raiders pack is missing something this season. I mean, Josh Papali did do well in this game. It's probably the the most I've seen him play like Big Papa. I mean, he got 182 run metres from 17 runs, but it's it's not enough on his own. Elliot Whitehead's there. He, he gets involved and also he's now playing more of that ball-playing role, really. But there's, there's nothing really else, no, no extra impact from that from that pack 
and I don't really know what it is. No one's scared to take on the Raiders. And if anything, you're coming up against the Raiders, you're thinking whether that early storm and we're going to do them in the second half, which is pretty much what every single team who's beaten them have done this season, barring the big teams. Um, and it can't just because John Bateman's gone. There's got to be something else. Um, I feel like along with Brisbane, there's some real issues in in in, in the backs backside of, of things at the club. Um, and I don't know what's happening or but something needs to change drastically. I mean, there still are there or thereabouts in terms of playoff contention, but they just don't really look a threat and they're a shadow of the former self of the seasons before. One thing that I did think that I wanted to discuss and I feel like uh, Paul Green must be tapping into my brain because I said a potential for a Hunt McCulloch for Queensland and seeing how they'd link up. Andrew McCulloch has been uh, named at nine and Ben Hunt's obviously in that familiar 14 position for him. Woody, I'll come to you. How do you think that could be a benefit to Queensland? Do you think that them having to play together at club level will... Um, translate to the Origin Arena. We've seen how successful it's been for the Penrith boys. Do you reckon this could have the same effect for, for Queensland? I think it can only be a, a positive thing, really, mate. And I know McCulloch's obviously very experienced. And I think he'll add to the defensive side for Queensland. Obviously, that's an area where Harry Grant really struggled in the first game. I think he missed eight tackles in the end. So, And obviously, with Reed Marnie out as well, McCulloch's the obvious man to step in. And for Ben Hunt, said that he should have been in all along, should have been involved in game one as that utility 14, which is where he's going to find himself for, for game two. Totally agree. And I think like the fact that they've got um, sort of um, a steady nine, not really a spark nine like your Harry Grant, I feel like that'll benefit Queensland a lot better because they need a little, a lot more stability around that rooks. They lost it massively in Origin 1, so I feel like that could be a really smart uh, play, to, play to bring him in. Jamie, just something I'm going to throw to you. That Raiders 18th man fiasco, in, in my opinion, that sums up the Raiders club at the moment. For anyone who's not aware, um, there was a, I, I can't remember what it was particularly now, but there was a HIA and they brought in an 18th man uh, for his debut, but he wasn't actually eligible to go on. And if anything, it's kind of good that they lost this game because they would have been suspended, probably lost the two points and been deducted two points for obviously fielding an, an eligible player. I mean, how do you make a mess up like that at this arena? Like, it, it just goes to show how off it Canberra are at the moment, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it was called Xavier Savage, which I think in itself sounds like a professional wrestler's name. It's superb name, is that? But I, I, I don't know if I'd blame Canberra for this. I, I don't know if it should have been kind of under the microscope of the officials to keep an eye on things. I don't know if they said they could bring him on and the Raiders brought him on anyway. Um, I thought this 18th man stuff would, would end up making a mess in a couple of years' time. But to say it's still the same season and they end up somehow messing it up is a, is an achievement in itself. Um yeah, I don't know if, if if the officials are to blame now, if it took them so long to even realise that they're not meant to bring him on. But yeah, daft in every single way. And like you say, luckily it didn't cost them too much. But it, it's simple rules, you know, that the, the attacker has to be simbined in order for the uh, 18th man to come on. It just didn't happen. I think it was Jack Bird, did you say it was? Or someone like that. And, and he didn't get simbined. He just got put on report. So yeah, the, the, whether it's the Raiders' fault or the, uh, the officials' fault, it's just daft all, all the way around. I mean, you can make arguments for both, but if, if this had happened to the Melbourne Storm, would they have brought an 18th man on if there wasn't sure? Probably not, because they're, they're more sensible than that. So you can probably pin blame, but some clubs would have adapted better to it. Uh, to wrap up my points on this game, Ben Hunt deserved his five points. Corey Norman, who's, again, another player who's carried on his resurgence this year, that link between him and Hunt is really starting to become formidable with four points. Sullen with three, Josh Papaliti with two, and Jordan Rapana with one. Easily Canberra's best player this season, Jordan Rapana. Up next, again, I'm sure that you'll want to skip over quite quickly, but we're not going to. We're going to make you talk through it thoroughly. Uh, Melbourne Storm 66, West Tigers 16. Um, I'll just let you talk us through this game, Jamie, and try not to shout too much. 
take a nice big sip of water before I uh, spout off all this garbage that I'm going to say. Um, I don't really know what's, what's to be said, really, if I'm honest. You, you know, like I said about the Brisbane game, you can sit here and blame the rise of Volandi's ball or the fatigue imbalance in the game, the rule changes, the six agains, the you know the ten agains, the twelve agains, whatever you want to say. But this is just downright disgusting and insulting to not only the West Tigers fans but fans in general in rugby league. You know, this West Tigers team, who I might add, have put in solid, solid performances for the past four to five weeks. We beat the best team in the league who had, you know, they had four or five players out. We've beaten you know, the Dragons. We've beaten the Knights. We put in a decent performance against Parramatta last week. They, they turned up to this game already beaten. They've read social media outlets. They've listened to podcasts. They've, they've been frightened by watching Melbourne the past couple of weeks. They've already had these preconceptions about a result of this game and they've given up before they've even stepped on the field. I don't care what team you are or who you're against. This does not and should not happen at any level of sport, never mind rugby league. What do we always say about the Bulldogs? Their effort is there, it's top class, but it's just the quality that is poor. What happens when they play to the big sides, they constantly hold their own. Earlier on this season, they didn't get battered by Melbourne because they held their own. Same against Penrith, same against Parramatta. They, they, you know, eventually they end up losing by you know, 16, 20 points, but they constantly hold their own because the effort is there and they want to play for each other. I don't know how you know, teams like Tigers and Broncos can even look at themselves in the mirror when they play games like this. It's pathetic. 66 points to 16 this turned out to be. Um, you know, Melbourne was superb. No two ways about it. They're the best team in the in the league at the minute for me, even though Penrith uh, have had a couple of bad couple of weeks. They've adapted year upon year of rule changes and how the game is going to be played, and they always do it the best. You know, the same blokes every week. In fact, it's impossible not to be the same blokes every single week because every single Melbourne player always performs, always. Hughes, Hines, Munster, Grant, Brandon Smith. They are all the headliners, but there isn't a player in that squad that doesn't put their mind and body on the line when they pull on the purple jersey. Ten individual try scorers for Melbourne, and they could have gotten way more as well. They took the, they took the foot off the gas of coming into the back end of the game. Not sure if, if they wanted to hold the respect of the game or the opposition, but they could have easily broken 100, easily. They were, they were 60 points up after 52 minutes, 60 points to nil in an NRL game. You know, if, if that school or college or even an amateur game, that would have been called off there and then. You know, this is the premier competition in the world, the NRL. 60 points after 52 minutes, it's absolutely pathetic. There isn't even a word to describe the lack of effort and heart, you know, the Tigers have shown this weekend. You'd be close to thinking they'd, they'd have a bet on the game and you almost feel like saying that they've cheated themselves or that they're doing it for some reason or another. The goal line defence was absolutely non-existent, the same as the Broncos early on in the round, they, they were walking, there were stray arms in supposed tackles, there was no presence of concentration when they actually had the ball, when they were knocking on, they weren't diving on the ball to kill the player, they were actually sometimes even kicking it into the hands of Melbourne who went and scored under the sticks, we know no defence whatsoever, you know, it was embarrassing, it was disgusting and it was gutless, you know, even more gutless that the admin team on social media blocked all comments on the posts, let the fans have their say, because in a performance like this, they deserve to. I don't know how many fans managed to turn up to the game, if any at all. But to block them all and basically put tape over the mouth and say, you can't tell us how badly we performed is, is ridiculous. And I, 
I, I don't care about any sort of positive comments about the Tigers because even though there was a small margin, I'm not, I'm not even going to give them the highlight. And probably some minor thoughts were worth, worth mentioning, but they're not worth the airtime and they're not worth my, you know, my energy. You know, 60-40 possession, 88% completion from Melbourne, 26 more tackle breaks, nine more line breaks. It just shows there. And then, you know, you don't even have to look at the score. Just look at them stats. And Melbourne are the first side in Southern Hemisphere Rugby League history to score 500-plus points in the first 15 rounds of the season. They are absolutely belting teams week after week. And they deserve to. You know, they, they could probably run away with this competition. Um, and they deserve to as well. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I could go on for, for hours upon the, about this. And it's even more disappointing because of the turning fortunes we've had in the past four to five weeks. But... Jed, if it's an easy answer, if it's even possible to answer, but where do you even go from here with the Tigers? I'm sure it can't really get any worse. Uh, it can't. I think they need to clear out players who don't really want to be there, don't want to play there. I think there's too many players that are playing for money, playing for a paycheck. It's a job. They don't have passion for it. Um, it's sure that I've got something I could have said about Cowboys in, in, in recent times. But yeah, there's no quick fix, I don't think. Um, I think the only positive to take out of it is that you, you know when they're as bad as the Broncos and the Doggies. So, you know, we're going to be there, that wooden spoon, and you will pick up some more victories. Um, like you said, there are players there that do want to play for the club and, and, and give effort week in, week out. You like, so I know you didn't want to give air time, but I think like Dan Laurie and Adam Dewey always looked at, I didn't watch this game particularly, but they, from when I've seen, always seem to stick their hand up and want to play for the team. But yeah, there's far too many players not really wanting their effort and not putting their hands up and not playing for, for the badge that's on the chest. And it's really disappointing and it's insulting to the fans. But yeah, no quick fix, I don't think, Jeremy. I think earlier on this year, we were worried that there were a couple of teams were going to be like this, especially with Manly and the Cowboys starting so far. But they've shown that the quality is there. We, we see it week after week. The Bulldogs' quality is not there, but the effort's there. It's the only two teams that I do this constantly, the Tigers and the Broncos. It, it riles me up no end because... These blokes getting paid to play the sport that millions of people around the world would love to do. And I don't care that you're coming up against Melbourne. They've they've lost two games this year. They are proven that they have, you know, they have they've got players missing. And God, I could I could sit here all day, just an absolutely spineless, gutless performance. And um, same blokes again, gotta give the points to and Jerome Hughes, five points. Technically the best player this season in terms of if you look at our player this season points we have just recently released on Instagram and, and all social media. Nico Hines, four. Harry Grant, three. Tui Kamakamika, who has been a, a, an absolute bulldozer this year. Fair play to him, two points. And Nelson Asafa Solomona, one. Let's move on to something a bit more happier in terms of three blokes. Another win for you, would it? 36 points to the Parramatta Reels against your local rivals, Canterbury-Backstand Bulldogs, 10. But it looked like it might have been a bit of an upset here. Classic Bulldogs performance once again, mate. It's all we ask of, isn't it? Yeah, well, first of all, I almost, almost feel bad following you after what you've just been through to talk about my team. Like you say, we got there in the end fairly comfortably by the final whistle, but it definitely wasn't as easy as the margin suggests. Western Sydney derby, as you say, and it really played out like one in the first half. Bulldogs came to make it a dogfight and they absolutely got one for 40 minutes. Held a really surprising lead at the break. However, all reverted to type with Parra winning the second half 30 points to nil to continue our trend of absolutely dominating after halftime. The Eels really struggled to get a grip on the ball and the game for most of the first half. Handling was a massive issue, again, in conditions, which has been a theme of the weekend. We managed an early lead with that clockwork Moses bomb to Madison Leap combo, but just really couldn't build on it from there. Avrilo's kicking and Dog's last tackle options were generally dreadful throughout the game, but 
another Eels mistake from an Avarillo bomb, followed by another near Core Simbin, and then a huge finish to the half on repeat sets left Canterbury 10-6 up and looking at a monster upset upset come half time. All really flipped on a, a bit of a comical penalty try for the Eels, which Doggy's absolutely gift wrapped. Avarillo chucks the ball at Napa, who's trying to get out of the way, comes off his shoulder. Moses kicks the ball through and Brandon Wakeham takes him out. From there, usually all suspects got a grip on the game. Combo's working all over the field and Doggy's barely touched the ball again. Had seven complete sets in the second half, which is staggering. Whether it's King Goffer and Moses, Nath Brown and Lane, or Junior Paul Owen, Regan Campbell-Gillard, the interplay and link-ups, absolute thing of beauty. Go and watch the tries, especially the forward link-up ones and Sean Lane's absolute world here. So many good ball players in that team and you know, the chemistry is at its finest with the big ball carries especially. Conversely, looking at the doggies, absolutely lacking in both areas. Dylan Napa put himself about, but even Luke Thompson can get going on this occasion as he so usually does. Got himself needlessly simbin for a late bump off the ball. And I think the best they can hope for this season is Brisbane pipping them to the wooden spoon once again. So it still took a, a bit of time for the Eels to really kill the game off, but the left edge finally got ticking as King Guffer sent over Sean Russell, the Rouse Hill Rhino, for a double on his debut. You absolutely love to see it. I'll continue to mention the same players I do most week because they are just so influential. It's hard not to. Isaiah Papali, just stop it. Broke the record for tackle bust by an Eels forward in the NRL era last week with 11. Added another nine in this game. That's 20 in two games for you maths teachers out there. Guffer and Moses, an absolutely stunning double act as always to... Kick returns from the King, the boot from Moses, the passing from both, which can cut out an entire defence just like that. Unbelievable. And for the best reflection of that, just go and watch those two Russell tries. I mentioned it in there and it is a massive discussion point, but well, the penalty try in general, which was a bit of a farcical one, but on the no yellow card rule, which I obviously know is part of the rules, but the, the try on that one is going to be scored anyway under the stick. So it's going to be six points. So the actual outcome of the sanction isn't particularly high, so. I'll come to you on this one, Jamie, but why can't it be a, a Simbin as well on those sorts of occasions, given how cynical it is? I, I don't know. I were a bit dumbfounded when I watched this as well. It, it, you know, like you said, it was it was going to be a try regardless, but he purposely did it to try and to try and stop it all, essentially. I don't know if he felt a bit sorry for him, but um, I think I feel as in any other regard that would have been a yellow card. I don't know if it's a case, if you know, like in football, where they, they, they don't want to do a double whammy at the same time where they're going to score a try and be down to 12 men. Um and I know early on in the podcast, we've just been kind of blasting the fact that they're giving out yellow cards too easily. And now we're arguing this, but I feel as though if it's going to be an absolute, actual, you know, a foul play, which this was, um, it deserves it. So who can who can know what the referees are going to decide week in, week out, mate? I, I don't know if you've got a different opinion on that, Jed, but it depends whatever the side of the bed to wake up out of sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's an odd one, like you said, but it's, it's just one of them things. Um, Sometimes it would have been given a yellow card. Sometimes it's not like you said, Jay. You couldn't have summed it up any better there, Jamie. It's just that sometimes, whichever way the, the wake up on the side of the bed, maybe it was a bit of sympathy. But yeah, I don't really have an answer for you there, unfortunately, boys. So I'm, I'm not too sure, would you? Fair enough, man. I'm with you there. And uh, wanted to speak about uh, Nate Roach as well, who's, who's had a, a bit of an injury hell throughout his career, really. He's looking at a dislocated kneecap just 20 minutes into another NRL comeback attempt. He's only 25 years old. I was Quite looking forward to seeing him make a bit of a cameo for the year. He's made a fairly bright start, but that is brutal, isn't it? Especially at such a young age. It's awful to see. You never want to see it. And I think of other players that have done it and it can be done. 
I think I think uh, I might have got this wrong, but I think Tatuá Moga has, has had three or four ACLs, and now he's he's, he's played and, and hasn't had an ACL injury for a while. Look at James Tedesco, had two ACL injuries, and is one of the best players in the world. So it is possible to come back from it. Um, I just in in this instance, I only hope that he's got the right support around him because it will no doubt really take such a toll on his mental health. Um, and that would be my, my major concern for him. Uh, but I'm sure with obviously that the, the club will will look after him. Uh, and hopefully he can come back and make more of an impact uh, and hopefully his next return from injury and come back will be a, a more successful one, mate. Fingers crossed, mate. It's absolutely gutting and a bit heartbreaking to see him out of a, potentially another big injury. I know he spent whole seasons out before. Uh, I mentioned Nia Corey getting another Simbin in there. Been a bit of a, a liability since the crackdown, especially. He seems to be one of those players who's really suffering from it and struggling to adapt along with obviously the likes of Victor Radley. Come to you on that one, Jamie, if you've got an opinion on it. Yeah, I mean, he, he hasn't really got a choice. He needs to adapt or he's just going to see more time on the sidelines. And the more times he sees on the sidelines, the, the likes of Brad Arthur probably aren't going to pick him again because they just keep getting knocked down to 12 men too much. Um, I don't know if he's... I, truthfully, I don't know if he's always been one of these players that has a bit of a lazy arm and it probably should have been Simbin in the past. He's never really stood out for me until this year, to be honest, but... Yeah, mate, he's, he's going to have to learn quick, you know, you know, in this this current climate. And he's a good good player and he's known to be a defensive type of player. So if his only kind of bright spark is that he's, def- he's a good defender, but he's off the field because he's doing too many eye shots and he hasn't really got any upside to him at the minute. So, yeah, he, he needs to turn it around quickly, doesn't he, really? Yeah, it's really frustrating as well. And it could be eight games missed out of the last 10 or something if he gets another four-week ban. Uh, just to wrap up with my points from that then, it is, of course, an Eels clean sweep. Had Papa Lee with five, Mitch Moses with four, King Goffer with three, Sean Lane with two, and Nath Brown with one. And the final game of the weekend from me, it was the Gold Coast Titans 24, Manly Warringah Sea Eagles 56. I mean, a grand total of 80 points in this game. Um, I'm just uh, pinching off your line there, Woody, one for the math teachers out there. And it still wasn't the highest scoring game of the weekend, which is absolutely mind-boggling in itself. I mean, this was the absolutely prototypical Titans game in 2021, if I ever saw one. They were 24-8 up at half-time. 24-8 up at half-time and eventually lost the contest 24-56. The second biggest second-half collapse in the history of Australian rugby league. What is, what's wrong with their defence? It's like they're playing touch RL at times. To put this into context, they had a 100% completion rate up until the 79th minute. They're so focused around having a ball in hand that they they are they are beyond putting their body on the line in defence. I mean, we could analyse this game until the cows come home. And don't worry, we still will. Don't worry, I will. But this could be seven minutes of throwing every single adjective in the direction of Tom Trebojevic. But before I do go on about that, um, I just want to throw it over to you quickly. Um, I mean, the stats that I have is in crazy. I mean, you put it, and I couldn't be, believe it because I caught this game on on catch up. Three try assists, three tries. Um, I think his run meters are actually quite low compared to Tommy Turbo's stats. Um, he, he had eight or nine tackle busts, four line break assists, three line breaks, two offloads. It's just absolutely insane. Probably the best stats I've ever actually seen. I'm just going to come to you quickly, Jamie. I mean, how good can Tom Trevojevic become? I mean, for me, I know we've spoken before and you think of a purple patch in rugby league and we always go back to that Jared Hayne in 09. But I wasn't as invested in, in, in rugby league or as NRL as I am now. For me personally, this is the best run of form I have ever seen by a, by a player. And for me, I know we speak about Nathan Cleary and in, in it is really toss-up, but I've never seen a player take a game by the scruff of the necks and absolutely transform it within a split second by everything he does. He's, I mean, how he played in origin, he was everywhere. He's, he's just everywhere. 
Can you put it into words? Because I, I don't have the adjectives or the superlatives available to me. How good is Tommy Turbo at the moment? I think the scariest thing is now is that he's, he's probably not even a run of form. It's just Tom Trebojevic. It's just how good he is. Not how good he can be. Not how good he has been in a certain period of games. This is just him now. And he, there's potential that he's just going to step up again. It's, it is the, the best way. If, if anyone hasn't seen him play often, or if anyone is new to the NRL and is listening to the podcast, it's honestly like watching a 16-year-old play in an under-10 side sometimes in terms of how he creates tries, how he scores tries, how he just bosses games. But he's not just doing it at like an ordinary level. He's doing it at the top level every single week and then doing it at an even bigger level at State of Origin. And, he, he, you know, the only thing that the downside to him is that he's potentially a bit injury prone. But luckily, touch wood, he's not had that this year yet. And it's proven this manly side has just worked so perfectly with him in it. And, you know... If it comes to the playoffs and they're playing Melbourne or they're playing Penrith, I feel like Manly could do it. I feel like Manly could honestly go all the way with Turbo in form. He is just an out-of-this-world, out-of-this-universe planet player. I've just never seen anyone like it. He's not even a fullback. He's not even a, a, he is just a rugby league player now. He just basically gets free roam to do whatever he wants. I can't even imagine what Des Asler tells him to do because it's just basically a case of go and be a, go and be a Tom Trevojevic, just... Run out there, ask the ball when you want it, defend when you fancy it, just do what you want. The score is a bag load of points and it just happens. I don't know how he does it. He's just incredible. Exactly. And just to piggyback off what you said there, when you think about, Woody, when you think about players leading their team to, to NRL championships, you think of Joey Johns with that Newcastle in 97-01. and 01. Obviously, it was by far the best player and elevated everyone around him. And Tom Travoyich has had that effect this season. I know Jamie mentioned it there, but do you reckon he can have that effect on this Manly team and, and, and can he lead them and elevate the team around him to become, in, in this season, reach the pinnacle and become NRL uh, champions? I definitely think there's a chance, mate, the way he's going. And like you say, he's, he's, it's not just him playing out this world. So he's, he's dragging his teammates along with him. I'd probably say at the minute, chucking Saab and Garrick in there, probably one of, if not the best back threes going at the minute. Definitely, I couldn't argue against it. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to touch on Tom Trevojevic there because he's absolutely a special talent, and I'm really happy, like you meant, he sort of shirked that injury proneness a little bit because I'd hate to be think I'd hate for him how we've seen him now to go down that channel of what if and what could have been, and I'm glad we're seeing him sort of playing to his full potential. And now before I talk about how impressive the Trevojevic wearing seagulls, I mean the manly wearing seagulls. I would like to give a shout out to Tyrone Peachy and Jaden Campbell. Peachy was really responsible for the early Titans' domination and played like a third halfback and his short-kicking game was very good and really put Manly on the back foot at times. Foggy and Taylor just didn't carry this on once he left the pitch, forgetting to do basic attacking well. I mean, they had 100% completion, but in that second half, they didn't do anything with it. I mean, and then when Peachy was eventually reintroduced to the game in the 69th minute, the, the game was long gone and he couldn't really do anything else about that. Uh, Campbell is playing like he's got a few seasons under his belt. Um, he's got a really good work ethic and, and didn't seem to be phased by playing against Tommy Turbo. I mean, even after that one-on-one steal, it was back to business. I mean, he got a try, two try assists and tackle and two and six tackle busts. And I thought them came out of the game really well. And when the Titans as a whole didn't come out really well. Um, can't really... Call them underrated anymore, the, the, the Manly. Um, they're truly making the headlines and, and, and two of the players responsible for that are, are Paseca and Tapao. 
absolutely excellent again. For me, they're the second best prop partnership in the league after James Fisher, Harris and Moses Liotta. Between them, they clocked 362 run metres with Paseca averaging a huge 14.3 run metres per run with five tackle brush, one offload and one line break. I mean, that's absolutely astronomical. I think that's probably one of the best um, average run metres I've seen. It'd be intriguing to see what his uh, post-contact metres are for the season, but I will imagine that, that they are very high because he always seems to, to take about two players with him whenever he's attacking. Ruben Garrick, as you just mentioned, Woody is on a, on great form at the moment, along with the rest of the Manly team. He's very much a confidence player, which coincides with his kicking too. 28 points for him in this game, four tries, 145 run metres. feel we've been too cautious with the under-the-radars this season, so I'm bringing it back and I'm bringing it back with a vention because he has gone under the radar in a team with a lot of big names. And that is the under. We need to get a sponsor for the under the radar alarm. We'll have to get it sponsored by someone. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it is a team full of superstars and big names. You've got Daily Cherry Evans. You've got the Travojevic brothers. You've got Dylan Walker. You've got other players around there. Mighty Tapal, huge players. And he does go under the radar quite a lot, but he's been incredible. And at such a young age, he's only 23 years old. 36 tries in 58 games and he's closing in on 500 career points. Um, I think he's on about 460, 470 at the moment. And that's an astronomical amount at such a young age. Um just quickly over to you, Jamie. Titans' tragic defence is the third worst in the league behind the Tigers and the Broncos. What was Justin Albrook be thinking? I don't know, mate, because I do wonder what type of training is going on. I don't know if they need a specific defensive coach or if they've already got one. Obviously, St. Ellen's teams were known for their attacking prowess and they probably didn't have to worry too much about the defence because they were the best team. But this Titans team, what a, what a you know unbelievable attacking strategy they have, but as the season's gone on, it's just proven that they're just not bothered. They're just, they would rather just try and outscore teams. And when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, it's just not happening. I, I will say, if they do manage to snag the playoffs, I don't think they're going to they're gonna last. They're probably going to get knocked out in the first game because that's where you really do need to be tight in defence. But yeah, the third worst in the league behind the, the two teams who have the least effort, shock, uh, the Tigers and the Broncos. So um, yeah, mate, really, really poor. And I don't know what Holbrook's playing at really in terms of that. Some of the need to change sharpest because it can, I can't see where they're going to improve from, to be honest, in, in from that uh, display anyway. But my points on this game, it should come as no shock or surprise that Tom Trevojevic got my five points, could have easily got 10 points, if I'm honest. Uh, Taniela Paseca with four, Ruben Garrick three, DCE two, and Marty Tapau one. Over to you, Mr. Robinson. Superb stuff. Thank you very much, Jed Amos. God, it's Super League round 10 this past weekend. We had a, a long weekend, actually. It started on Wednesday and ended uh, this on Saturday or Sunday, I believe. Catalan Dragons and Leeds Rhinos did get cancelled due to COVID, but Wakefield Trinity kicked off the round. 12 points against Castleford Tigers, 18. St. Helens, 2. Wannington Wolves, 6. I'd love to see a start the last time St. Helens were a uh, didn't actually manage to score a try at home. Huddersfield Giants, 8. Salford Red Devils, 9. Uh, Wigan Warriors, 8. Hull Kingston Rovers, 18. And Lee Centurions, 22. Hull FC, 64. Um, Woody, I'll come to you first, mate. What stood out for you there? A, a whole weekend of away wins in Super League. Yeah, it's a bit of a weekend of shocks and a few low-scoring affairs as well. Trying to pick out a couple of them. Looking at the Huddersfield Salford game, I think Salford really needed that after massively struggling this season. They finished the game with 12 men as well. And on that, the wrong man was actually sent off. So James Greenwood got the red card, but should have been Dan Sargentson, who's since been banned. It was obviously pretty farcical around. There's been a bit of fallout from that. Uh, on the Wigan, whole KR game as well. It's KR's first win at Wigan since 2009. Really been a bit of a surprise package this season. So it'd be quite interesting to see if they can topple FC in the table as well. And 
Just talking of Wigan as well, just wanted to give a massive nod to Sam Housel. He's on loan from Wigan at Newcastle Thunder and he scored in the win on Father's Day, which was yesterday, and that's just a few days after his dad tragically passed away. You know, that is massive courage from that young man. And obviously us three are all really sorry to hear that and our thoughts are completely with Sam and all the family there. Yeah, I just want to echo that as well. But sending our thoughts out to the whole rugby league world and anybody who's been affected by the loss of a parent recently and, and fair play to Sam for, for wanting to play on and actually uh, scoring as well. So a big shout out to Sam Arsenal on that one. Jed, very quickly, mate, we'll come to the Wakefield game. It's it's a continued fashion for us. We just cannot beat Castleford Tigers no matter how hard we try. I, mean, I, I don't know, you might be correct me if I think we was actually at the last time that we beat Castle on it, Jamie. And that was what, 20... 15, 2016, we were away and we were 20 new, 22 nil down at halftime. We won 24-22 and we've not won since. We'll have to get our friend uh, Phil because he actually came to that game and that might be why we've not won any since because he uh, doesn't go to many rugby league games. But yeah, I thought the effort were there, but it were, poor, it were a poor game, but a poor quality, a lot of silly errors. And uh, I thought, I don't know, I probably don't, I feel like both teams are quite equal. Just don't have the know-how to see out games. But Milky was very good, probably being uh, our best player since he returned from injury. But yeah, it's just really... Disappointing, especially with uh, Bill Tupu going out for the season. I'll, I'll be a big blow. Um, but we play. We, we don't deserve to be third in the ladder. I think we deserve to be a little bit higher up. To be honest, we're definitely better than Leeds, who obviously sit in just because of them two victories over us, where we should have probably won both games. But yeah, disappointing. But fair play to Cass. They just seem to beat us every time. I can't really knock them. Um, and just one little side note from me. I don't know if any of you are who are listening. Are, keeping up with our prediction competition. But I did actually want to go for the whole KR victory over Wigan, but I absolutely bottled it. So oh, just wanted to get that out there. That I did want to go for it, but I didn't have the guts to do it. Let's, let me just reaffirm the fact that Jed got one score right this week. So, yeah, fair enough. We might have wanted to go for that, but it wouldn't have made a massive difference anyway. But, yeah, really hard week to predict overall. I think I only got two. I think Woody only got two as well. So... Big shout out to all SC that got a point for all three of us. Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode 83 of Three Blocks and the Rugby League podcast. Head on over to all our social media pages where you'll find a variety of content which will hopefully pique your interest. Also, give us a rating on our podcasting platforms if possible, please. We are available on all podcasting platforms and keep an eye out for future podcasts and interviews. Or have a listen to our archive of Tom Johnston, Barry McDermott, Adrian Morley, Jody Cunningham, Amy Hardcastle, and much, much more. We have recently released two interviews. It's kind of a bit of a both ends of the scale. We've got England and St. Helens captain Emily Rudge, who has recently just been picked for the England squad this coming weekend. Fair play and shout out. Well done to Emily. And the other one is my father. I released that on Father's Day yesterday. Um, you know, he's had a prolonged career in Uber League, so it's a nice, interesting uh, interesting podcast to listen to if you fancy something different and we've also got another topic of the week coming this week too firing content at you thick and fast and that is our favourite facts of the 2021 season thank you Jed Amos Goddard thank you Mr Callum Wood we will see everyone next week we'll be reviewing this State of Origin Game 2 in Down Under thank you everybody for listening and we'll catch you all down the road